You're listening to the Bag of Pucks podcast, part of the National Podcast Network. I'm so going to be biased on this, Jeffrey. Uh, it sounds like this is going to be LA King news, isn't it? Yes. I am kind of not really. I'm biased. So the question my point is here. Should Kirill Kaprizov be counted in Calder Trophy contention? Should a player that has played in one of the top leagues in the world, a professional league, a global professional league, for parts of one, two, three, four, five seasons, still be considered – oh, sorry, six seasons – be considered a rookie and viewed in the same lens as players who are playing against 16-year-olds in the the CHL, 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds in the college system, or if you want to even look at Europe and you look at Tim Stutzel, um, played with in a professional league for one year, two years, two years. No, okay, well, this year he doesn't count in play, so one year. Um, should he be considered the same class there? Like, right now, the Calder rules. So where is your bias here? My bias is that should Kirill Kaprizov be allowed to, be considered a rookie in the in Calder terms. Um, the rule right now, I think, is twenty five and under, I believe, in terms of age. And then I think it was thirty or forty professional games. Um, and I get it; like the age requirement was in place of twenty five after Sergei Makarov won it in nineteen eighty nine, nineteen ninety. As a 31-year-old with 10 straight seasons in the USSR where he was more than a point-a-game player. Then I'm like, okay, yeah, that doesn't count as a rookie, in my opinion. But like now they bring it's 25. But is that is 25 the the baseline we want to use? Like the point of rookie, I think, is more of how many professional games you've played or professional seasons you've played, right? Like, in my opinion, I don't know. It doesn't feel like it's reasonable to compare guys who played a year or two years in a professional league versus a guy who played six years in a professional league. Part of the reason why I'm completely biased against this, like I mentioned before, is Tim Stutzel just absolutely – not Tim Stutzel. Kirill Kaprizov is absolutely killing the LA Kings, and it pisses me off. Well, I don't think him being a rookie – makes a difference either way he's killing the la kings so it doesn't really matter if he's a rookie or not but like i get your point like um like for players who have played professionally over in europe and in russia right like it's kind of they're not really on equal footing when you're saying like you're comparing to like an alexis lafreniere who finally just scored his first goal in the nhl so like i get that point but doesn't that bring too much of an American bias that you're saying like, oh, rookies can only be like guys coming out of junior or coming out of the college system, right? Like in Europe, it's a different developmental situation, right? Like, yes, Kirill Kaprasov may have played like a whole bunch of, you know, KHL games, right? But he was still like, you know, a junior at some points as well, right? Like he was 
he wasn't like a star star right he was just kind of putting up like putting up like little minutes here and there so i mean i think i think it's hard to say that you know Kirill Kaprizov like he's still young he's not like the upper range right he's what 23 24 like that's not too bad i find 23 okay first off it stings more because it's a rookie you know what i mean <laughs> it stings a little bit more but okay that I, I totally understand the point you don't want to make it a north american thing right but why not just do 82 professional games 82 games you lose your eligibility as a rookie and no, sorry 50 games i think right you lose your eligibility as a rookie if you play 50 games, don't win your Calder, and it's a year after. Why not just make that rule uniform? You can do 50 games over 10 years if you want. You know what? Because like I can't imagine if you're a KHLer, for example, and you can't even crack 50 games in the KHL over 10 seasons, you, you're going to become Calder Rookie of the Year. If it is, then you know what? Power to you. But I think you apply the same... You apply the same rules, but instead of in the NHL, it's in professional games as a whole. No, yeah. Um, to me, I, I, I honestly think at least it's already better than like back in the day when it was like what 30, 30 year olds. And I, I guess the most recent example would be someone like Artemi Panarin when he won the Calder, but he had played many professional seasons over in uh, the KHL. Um, like, yeah, I, I get that. You, it feels like it stings a lot more, but uh, honestly, like with Kirill Kaprasov, you know, he might not even win the Calder, you know, Ty Smith is tied with him in points and he's a defenseman. So, you know, maybe Ty Smith is going to win the Calder. So you, you don't have to worry about it. just be, he can be a rookie. And yes, he'll hurt the Kings probably for at least another, what, five more games that do they have? I don't know. Five, six more games. So, you know what? You don't have to worry about it. He'll, he'll probably come down to earth. Speaking of hurting the Kings though, uh, did you see that hit on Matt Roy? Uh, it, it, it was a bad hit, but to me, like on first glance, it didn't look as bad as I thought it was. People were talking about it. I don't know. I, I, I'm sure you have a completely different perspective, but it was, it was kind of, it was one of those hits that I guess it was going to be, you know, game misconduct, but I didn't know. I didn't think it was going to be like immediate, like three game suspension. Um, so, you know, I started off the episode kind of trashing on, a, not trashing, but disagreeing on a, on a wild player, correct? Mm-hmm. I'm actually on the, I think wild fans would actually appreciate my take on this. I think it's a little bit over overdue. I think three games, like if you look at the slow-mo, you kind of see that Matt Roy kind of like his knee kind of buckles, kind of gives way a little bit. And, you know, like. Fiala could have definitely turned. Um, but, like, it wasn't intentional. Like, if you watch the entire clip, which I'm sure Department of Player Safety definitely did, right? They didn't, contrary to popular belief, they didn't just spin a wheel and was like, three games, whoa, right? Um, like, you could tell it wasn't intentional. He stayed back and was like, oh, shit, like, I, I messed up. Are you okay, man? Like, and... You also could tell, like, he doesn't have much of a history. Um, and, I, you know, for me, you know what the thing that I, I think is the br- greatest indicator that maybe they kind of messed up on this was? If you look at the Kings players after, you have to do that mandatory scrum. But I don't think the game got really, like, chippy and really physical after. So I think the players kind of knows, like, hey, kind of a freak accident. Kind of terrible for everyone, but 
there were no players that went out there and were like, oh, I need to get retribution for my guy. And I think you often what you see is like when you have these terrible hits, getting a player a major and kicking him out of the game is usually a great way to lower the temperature a little bit. But there still is usually a guy or two in the, on the team going like, hey, you know what? Like my guy just got absolutely rocked. I need to stand up for my team. And I think the lack of that is very telling about how the players feel about it. So the way I hear it as well from what Austin is saying is that because it was an accident, Fiala didn't need to get suspended at all. So basically, if there was a crime in real life that, you know, as long as they just stand there and stay there, then they don't have to be arrested and charged. You know, that's all all that happens, you know, even if it is an accident, but you still commit like a crime, you know, you're fine. You don't have to worry about it. That's uh, Austin's uh, justice system right there. Actually, Jeffrey, don't hurt yourself jumping through those hoops to get to the conclusion. But my actual feeling on this, on crime and punishment, is that, first off, five-minute major is a penalty. First off, we have to agree on that. Second off, I actually think he should have gotten suspended. One game, two games max. Three is too much. And that is my opinion on whether or not he should have been suspended. Okay, Jeffrey? Fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. It, it just seems before that I did hear you a minute ago say that you didn't think Fiala should get suspended. So I just see you, you know, retracting back slowly your opinion so that it's a little bit more, uh, uh, more, you know, up, uh, what's the word? You know, it's just it's just a, an opinion that more people would respect instead, instead of... Uh, I meant he shouldn't have suspended three games. I apologize. Yeah, it, it's important to be clear about what you're saying, right? Because it's so easy for people to take your words and uh, strew them in, you know, their own way and make you become misinterpreted. It's rough, you know. Sometimes you try to trust your, your co-host, but then he kind of just kind of screws you over. Um... And that's not great. But speaking of rookies getting screwed over and teams needing reinforcements, let's talk about the Montreal Canadiens. Cole Caulfield. So the rumor is he's about to leave college sooner rather than later. As a Habs fan, how do you feel like that will affect the team? Um. Well, it, wait, is the is the NCA season like over or like I know with COVID's different, so like I haven't really been following the like the the college scene right now, but I'm assuming like if Cole Caulfield feels like he can make the jump to the NHL, then sure, but like if I'm Montreal, I'm a, like is there a point of bringing Caulfield on to play on your taxi squad and like, if, is he going to play in the minors, right? Like, that's the thing. Like, I don't, we don't really know how the AHL season's really going to go. Is it really going to be as, you know, is it really actually going to work out? So, like, to me, I'm like, do you really need to bring in Cole Caulfield or do you want maybe give him one more season in college? Like, I just don't see the need to sign him now. Like, it just doesn't make sense. Why don't you sign him a year later? Well, why... Is there any harm of keeping him in your taxi squad to at least practice with the big guys? Get some exposure, understand what it's like to play with these high-level guys? 
Yeah, maybe it wouldn't be bad to bring him onto your taxi squad, but then that's just like another spot. Like, I really don't see Cole Caulfield playing NHL games this season. I, I think Montreal is deep enough that they feel like they're, like, yes, they're giving their young guns a lot of ice time, right? Like, yes, Prakak, and Nick Suzuki, like, they're giving their young guys a chance to prove themselves. But I feel like this isn't the season to bring in Cole Caulfield. I think they have enough forward depth already that they really don't need maybe like in the playoffs maybe when Montreal you know makes it into the playoffs maybe they'll bring Cole Caulfield but it's like just looking at the right side for Montreal you got Gallagher Anderson into Foley right like I, I, you just don't see a spot there for Caulfield to jump in unless there's like a major injury or if they need that shot in the arm offensively in the playoffs like what um Robertson kind of was expected to do for the Leafs loss um during the play-in uh, round with against Columbus I guess, like, part of my counterpoint is could you maybe want to do Josh Anderson at the fourth line? I, I know, I know, I know before you get roasted, he's done well this season, five points. Um, and, you know, he's played well, long contract. You know, you're just going to create an unwanted media distraction in Montreal with Josh Anderson on the fourth line. I understand all that. But you'd also, as a team that's also kind of in a win-now situation like Montreal is, even though you and I disagree whether or not they're in win, they they can be a win-now team, wouldn't you want your best players playing no matter what, right? You don't want to, like, do you really, you call it bad GMing if you want, whatever you want to call it. But if this is your window and you're going for it, don't you want your best players playing no matter what? Uh, no, I, I agree with that point. It's just that for me, like, yes, I would rather just see him in the playoffs. I just don't think the regular season's needed. Like, I, like I'm not sure can like, I guess because he has to be signed to an NHL contract in order for him to be on like the taxi squad or even practice with the team. But I, I don't know. I just don't see like, an, like in terms of development, could Cole Caulfield stay in the college system for one more year? Maybe. I mean, like, I, I just, to me, I just feel like he, if if he wants, like, he can come out. But it's it's going to be up to Montreal. Will they offer him that contract? And does Cole Caulfield, I guess he sees himself as being an NHL. But I think, I I just, even with during the, the World Juniors, like, I, I just didn't see him playing as well as what you would expect him to be, right? Like, if you want to see him in the NHL. So, I feel like we'll see him in the playoffs. Maybe he'll sign a contract then. But right now, as of this moment, I don't see him. I don't see Montreal immediately signing him. Maybe, maybe just, maybe, like, a couple of games I would, like, have him, like, practice a little bit. But, like, not necessarily him coming to actually join the taxi squad or the, the NHL team. So what's wrong with him signing an ATO after the college season has ended and then and starting next year? Like, why not just do that? Because if you look at it, like, there's really not much left for him to do at the University of Wisconsin, right? Like, first year at the UW, one, uh, 36 points in 36 games. This season, 24 points in 17 games. Like, at this point, like, it's... I don't know if the competition is enough for him to keep development, right? So, like, well, why not just get him into some pro games sooner rather than later? Because I think I think an under 
value part of this is that, look, he has to have a say in this, right? If he goes, you know what, I wanted, I wanted to go now, whether it's HL or NHL, I want to go pro, and, you know, Montreal just keeps going, nope, nope, just because of contract reasons, you know, just stay, just stay, just stay, and just keep stalling your development. Like, you could see him just be like, I mean, this is a, a hypothetical for a fetch, but him just go, yeah, you know what, screw it. I'm not going to sign Montreal after I'm done my college career. It's going to become a UFA. I get to choose where I want. There'll be, you know, a lot more teams willing to sign me. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that point. It's just to me, like, I don't know. I feel like he, like, yes, maybe he is, like, outgrown the university, the NCAA system right now, but... I, I just don't see Montreal being that team that's going to, you know, sign him right as of now. I, I think, though, I'm trying to, trying to think, like, is that the type of style that Montreal does? And I'm like, I'm looking at a guy like Ryan Poling. And you see, I, I feel like Ryan Poling, they signed him too early, right? And now he's kind of in that mid-ground where, like, he he he's he's a good prospect, but he just doesn't have the opportunity to play. And I think that's just going to, that's what's going to happen to um Cole Caulfield when he signs right now, right? He's just going to be caught in that will he play, won't he play system. And in the end, he's just going to be playing the AHL. And I don't think that's what he wants. So uh, to me, I'm just, I, I just don't really see an op, like a necessary need from the Canadians to sign him. So yes, maybe uh, Cole Caulfield feels like he should be on the NHL team. But if you're Montreal, you, you don't really see a point until maybe the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I think like, I think part of the consideration is like maybe you could see a guy like him push to be signed in the sense that you look at these athletes, these guys are very, very competitive, right? Mm-hmm. And and you look at this year's draft pick in the first round, Kane Gooley, picked at a lower spot than Cole Caulfield, already been signed. And I, you got to wonder at least, hey, you know, of course I'm speculating. I know nothing about this. Does he go like, hey, you know what, like, why why can't I get signed? You know what I mean? Well, there's a difference between like the OHL, like, I mean the WHL system versus um, when you're talking about like the college system, right? With the college system, as an NHL team, you have more time to kind of, you know, play around with um, the, like how long you can hold on to a player's rights. But with the OHL, right? Like you're more than likely to sign people right away because it's easier for them to, you know, make that jump to or to go back and forth right but with the college system right once you sign them they can't go back to college you're you're basically stuck with them either playing with you at the nhl level or the hl maybe echl for some reason but that's why like you see the chl prospects being signed earlier so in in my opinion i just I, i think cole caulfield should you know maybe do one more season um in the uh college system or just wait to be signed um for uh the playoffs true but speaking of signing so on my fantasy team we've got four goalies one's on the ir okay Mm -hmm. yeah yep so their names are sergey bobrovsky simeon varlamov ben bishop and john gibson Okay, so usually when a player's on your fantasy team, you kind of keep an eye on them a bit more, right? Just because there's a bit more implication on how they do on 
on you, right? Because you were thinking, oh, you know, some fourth liner place for some team generally won't get a lot of your attention. But if they're on your fantasy team, you're like, hey, you know what? Every time they do a hit, it's contributing to, to the team here, right? So, you know, as a Kings fan, I obviously have a larger dislike for a lot of these Pacific teams in the California, like Anaheim and San Jose. But the last player on my team that's a goalie is on one of these teams. I have John Gibson. And watching John Gibson, the more and more I think about it, the more and more I'm convinced he's got the best contract in the league. And I don't think it's even close. Am I wrong? How? Sorry. How am I wrong? Um, I, I think there, there's definitely a contract out there that's better. I, I do think maybe the length of John Gibson's contract, maybe if he was two years younger, it would have looked a lot nicer than what he has right now. Like, he is 27. So, like, by the end of this deal, what, he'll be, like, maybe 34. And you could be regretting the last two years of that contract with a modified no trade. But I think... At this moment, John Gibson is one of those sneaky goaltenders that I that's why I picked the Ducks to, you know, make it to the, the playoffs this year is because you have a goalie like John Gibson who will win you games. And yes, you know, maybe he wasn't great maybe the last two seasons, but that's because the Ducks were rebuilding. And now that the Ducks, you know, have a little bit more solid team, they're gonna be a team too that's gonna be hard to beat. So I, I think there's definitely contracts out there that might be better than a John Gibson. Like, I think you always have the Nathan McKinnon discussion. But um, for Gibson's contract right now, I, I do. it's one of the better contracts in the NHL. I'll give you that. I think it's just too hard to rank contracts just because, like, are you going to rank them based on the, the full length of the contract or are you talking about just this year? So I'll just leave it as it's one of the better contracts in the NHL right now. So your point at 34 making 6.4 million 10 team no trade list so he's got 20 teams he can still get traded to without having to ask for permission first um i don't know man i think if you look at it 34 i mean if you look at a for me a, a comparable at that age the first thing that comes to my head is mark andre fleury and he's 36 He's got, I think, one more year or two more years at $7 million. So, sorry, this year and next year, two more years. Similar 10-team no-trade list at 36 years old. And this is a contract he signed in 2018. I don't know, man. Like, as a comparable, I think that's a pretty good comparable. And at the age where it's the end of his contract. And I think partly how I value contracts is what would this player – get if they were a free agent right now you'd have to think he probably gets a seven and a half eight million dollar deal for six years seven years right yeah like uh like i'm not saying it's like i'm not saying it's a bad contract at any point i'm just saying that there are other contracts that are being better and given the workload he's had with the ducks since he's been there I just don't know that by the end of the contract, is he still going to be that elite level goaltender that, you know, you expect him. So to me, like I, when, when we compare contra- contracts, right? Like, yes, it looks amazing right now, but you know, that's how every contract might seem the minute you sign them. It, like 
especially for these contracts when you have them right at the beginning of their prime. Yes, they look great, but like maybe towards the end, they don't look as great. So like probably in terms of goalie, like yes, maybe Marc-Andre Fleury could be an example, but you could see like by the end of Marc-Andre Fleury's contract with the Pittsburgh Penguins, he had tailed off a little bit. He was overtaken by a guy like uh, Matt Murray and it ended up being quite difficult to ship him out. They gave him a second round pick that they didn't really need to at the expansion draft. So to me, like I, I, I won't fight with you with saying that John Gibson is a great goalie and on a great contract, great long-term contract as well. You know, the ducks have locked him up. Um, and as the ducks improve with their, as they continue to rebuild, he's going to be a great, you know, um, core piece that they can build around. But um, to me, like, it's just hard to you know fight on like who has the best contract right because you could technically say like any like you can say Kirill Kaprizov is on the best contract right now right Mm -hmm. I mean like I think ELC contracts are just not fair (laughs) Um, but I think if you if you were I think I agree with you in the in most sense and if you were like hey if John Gibson had a bad contract and you said that, I think I would just start laughing and just end the podcast right there. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I think if you were just like, yeah, he's got a terrible contract, you just hear me laughing and then all of a sudden you just wouldn't hear me at all. <laughs> yeah, that's what I that's what I would expect from you. I would have no I would have no shame. I wouldn't feel bad about it at all. I would just laugh and you laugh and laugh. Um Speaking about GM moves, there's one GM opening right now where there seems like a lot of people are really interested in this. And I think we might have different opinions on this. The Pittsburgh Penguins job. It seems like it's very, um, very, what's the right word to use? It's very attractive. People want it, want it really badly. Uh, I don't think it's that great, is it? Um, in my opinion, uh, first off, your chin, we, we can tell this is an Alston's-led uh, podcast episode because I don't think we talked about a single GM move. And you know, he said that speaking of GM moves, so I don't know where Alston's going. Speaking of trade listening. moves, including Mark andre Fleury for our second-round pick. <laughs> now, who's the one jumping through hoops? Well, I have to I have try to do a segue, okay? God. <laughs> Okay, well, back to, you know, talking about... I, I think with any team that has Crosby and Malkin as a prospective GM, you always feel like, yes, I could, you know, potentially win with this team, make it to the Stanley Cup and become, you know, a star. But, like, I do agree with you. Like, the Penguins seem like within the... with If you were to be a GM, if you were to, you know, probably get, like, you know, three, four, or five years with that team, there's a good chance that you're going to be part of the Pittsburgh Penguins rebuild. So... I do think it's kind of funky that people are so, you know, interested or think that this is a very attractive position. But unless they're, you know, they think that they could take this team on one last run. Sure. I don't know. Well, here's so here's the thing, though, right? Like, so for a bit of context, according to Pierre Lebrun, 20 candidates contacted the team 
to express interest. And I, I get it, like it's varying degrees of interest, right? If you opened it up into like a job search on LinkedIn, you'd get hundreds of people like, I could do this, right? So these 20 candidates, I think are, what's the term to use? They're hockey, they're hockey people, correct? Well, I mean, we're also in a pandemic right now. So maybe there are people who don't have jobs right now. So that's why there's so many people applying for it. I don't know. But they're hockey people. So there's 20-ish serious enough candidates to be reported, right? So it wouldn't just be like me and you. So so you have people like Jason Botterill, Chris Drury, Ron Hextall, Mark Hunter, Tom Fitzgerald, Peter Shirelli, Scott Mellenby, Mike Gillis, Lawrence Gilman, John Ferguson Jr., and Mike Fuda. And one thing I did notice is that you do have a nice mix of up-and-comers and a nice mix of veterans. So up-and-comers as in Chris Drury or a Scott Mellenby or a Mike Fuda, those have been brought up as the ones to watch. And then you have some older names like a John Ferguson Jr. That's a name I heard in a while. Uh, Peter Shirelli or a Ron Hextel. Like there's a nice little balance. Maybe there are some that we don't know, but like if you look at as a team on their cap friendly, I don't love it, right? You don't have your first, third, fourth, or sixth this season. You've got aging superstars who are taking up a significant amount of the cap, right? Like Malkin and Crosby. I get it. They're Malkin and Crosby, but they're also going to be 35 and... 37, I think, ish, Crosby, when his contract ends. And you got a Chris Letang who really isn't performing this season. Um, and then you have on defense, like, it's just not great. You're still playing, you're paying Jack Johnson till the end of time. And then your, you know, your prospects aren't great. It's real here, right? Like, I, I just don't see it. I get it. You know, these jobs are rare. There's only 31, going to be 32 of these in the world. Ooh, I, I just don't see it. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. Like, this isn't maybe as fancy of a job that people are making it out, um, making it out to be. But I think the the level of interest like those 20 names i honestly don't think all those names make sense like jason botterill had just recently signed to be a gm of the kraken so that's kind of interesting um and you mentioned tom fitzgerald i'm pretty sure he's still the gm of the new jersey devils so that is something i don't like those are just i think those are just names that are being taken like brought out just to say like they have interest just to make it seem more competitive but like there's definitely names that like Ron Hextall is not going to be on a Pittsburgh Penguin at any point never is that ever going to happen so I just think most of these are just names for just for names to be there I don't think most of them are actually in consideration you're gonna have to ask Pierre Lebrun for that names come from him you think I'm bringing up Chris Drury and John Ferguson Jr. on my own? I don't think so. Um, and just for the record, Fitzgerald is the interim GM, so it's maybe he wants to be like, you know, maybe, you know, maybe he goes like, I don't really want this instability being an interim GM. I don't know. Not my uh, not my decision to make. But one thing that we did find out 
was apparently, so this is corner rumor, allegedly, so don't sue me, Mike Gillis's presentation to the Lemieux group, so Penguins ownership, was leaked, apparently. And in this, it, there's a lot of corporate buzzwords. So as a, as a business professional, love this. <laughs> I love it because then it's, they're just like us. But oh my goodness, is this a book? It is like, I don't know, Shirley. It's not Shirley, Mike Gillis. I don't know if it's my place to say this, but maybe you need a, a PowerPoint like class. Like this is just 11 pages of just like 11 font of just 11 font. And maybe the presentation he does with the Lemieux group and an actual interview is a lot more concise, but this one is just an absolute book and it covers everything from, it covers everything from human performance to scouting roles, uh, responsibilities, how he wants to build a team, um, his leadership tenants, those are his exact words, um, how he wants to strategize legal affairs. Like this is an in-depth book here. And one of the things I did notice was that he has a new approach to NHL management. And this is, And this is kind of interesting. He has the president of hockey ops and the general manager. And under that, he has four AGMs. So he has one kind of just for the CBA, one for uh, player personnel. And he has two separate AGMs that are associate head scouts. And under those AGMs, they each have six scouts that report to each AGM. So total of 12. And his strategy is to have them kind of work separately. So one person, one team looks at scouts themselves. Another team has scouts that report to themselves. And after that, at, at the draft, for example, before the draft, obviously, but they kind of compare the lists to try to figure out what they like and what they don't like. And I, I think that's very interesting. Coming from a GM, a leader, that was criticized for their scouting. You know, the one of the big biggest complaints that Canucks fans had was that Mike Gills could not scout to what their expectations were. And it's something that he brings up in this presentation. He says that, hey, you know what, like one of the greatest critiques was my team's uh, poor drafting record. And he has gone back to school, in his words, to identify talent in the draft. And this model of having two different skills is from this schooling, he found out. I'm wondering how many teams in the NHL do this where they have multiple scouting teams that are just independent from each other and at the end they just kind of like work together because I mean it's a pretty solid idea (laughs) I like it I think what does it it just gives that option to you know 
like really um what's the word like it, it just provides different opinions right so having two teams to not to be have two unbiased groups to scout players like young players it gives you more options at the drafting table that you can listen to different opinions and then make the best pick because you're able to cover um like more ground on these prospects so yeah i i think it's a great idea um for my Gillis, though, like I, I do think it's way past his time to come back. I mean, he hasn't held a position like a really, you know, big position since 2014, really. So I, I really don't see an NHL team. Well, it, the Penguins picked up Jim Rutherford. So like maybe they might just go back and find like a very veteran GM. But to me, like I, I just don't see like it's funny to see that it got, you know, leaked. And I agree with you that. You know, it's probably not his actual PowerPoint presentation. It's just an easy way to lay out his his resume out in a PowerPoint slide. So, I, I I'm like to me, I, I think with um Mike Gillis, it's like he's he's not getting the job. You know, you don't think so? Yeah, I I, I just don't see a team like Pittsburgh being a team that he could inherit and that management would think he would do well with. That's one thing I end. I'll be honest with you. So again, I'm you know I work in in the business field, so I see all these businessy presentations. Mike Gillis's leadership tenants. Every leader kind of has something like this, in the sense of you have stuff like think long term, be accountable, hire and trust the best, it and collaborate. Like some of these are just ones that. You, sh- you should be doing right like hire and trust the best yeah you kind of should be hiring and trusting the best there right, mike <laughs> you know what i mean like some of these are pretty good right the ones where it's just like take risks be transparent those ones not everyone says take risks just especially ones who are you know in a comfortable place where they are right now so that one i'm fine with but like stuff like think long term and innovate no shit. <laughs> well, that's one of things that you have to put on a resume, right? Like on your resume, more for most people, you put in that you know you can use Microsoft Word, Excel, and PowerPoint, which you know for some jobs, yes, is necessary. Necessarily, but like you put that down just because it's something that you have to put down as one of your abilities. If you are proficient in using a computer, you have to put it down. So, or like you can say, fluent in English. That's something you might have to still put down if you're in an English-speaking country and you're applying for an English-speaking job. Like It's just things that you have to apply because that's probably what's on the job application, right? It's going to ask you about, like, oh, can they think long-term? And then you just have to write down, yes, I can think long-term. So, Okay, I got, I got one for you then. Produce results. That is a leadership tenant. Um. <laughs> No, that 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 is uh that is something that you could could put down if you really wanted to, right? Like it is, you know, that as a leader, that yes, you can lead your group to do something, but if you in the end nothing happens, then of course, yeah, that's that's something that you could put down as part of your leadership tenets. Because if you lead a group and there's no results in the end, are you really a good leader? No. So I, I agree with Mike Gillis. I I don't hate his leadership tenets that much. I think it's it's a lot of you know corporate bullshit, but. You gotta put it down because it's it, it's part of your job application. It's part of your resume. You're here to sell yourself, and right, like it was that's the one thing that the ownership wanted to see. Like you just have to put down all that information there. So I, I'm I'm okay with it. Okay, for the record, 
I, it's not that I don't like it. I just find it funny in the sense that it's always nice to see hockey and the corporate world mixed together. Just because, you know, for many people who do, who are in the corporate world, sports is a nice outlet to kind of like forget about it. But it's then some, but then at the end of the day, it's hey, it all still mixes together. And I, I don't know, I find that hilarious, um, which it, you know, which is always a plus, right? Um, but on another note, what isn't a plus for me, in my opinion, NHL scheduling this season. What is going on? I think this week is a great example of, of just poor scheduling, in my opinion. I think there's a reason why. I want to hear your opinion on it because I know you have probably the reason why. And you're just like, Alston, this is very logical. Think, think this smartly. This week, you either had days where they had one or two games, like Monday, or you have 15, like today. I think it's not 15, sorry. Eight games. Is it eight games? Something something crazy. Like it's not a bound schedule. And I get it. Saturday's hockey night. You kind of want, you know, you want them to know, hey, Saturday night you watch hockey. It is 15 games this week. Sorry. 15 games today. I don't understand why. What's the point of it? Like why can't there just be better planning than you can have hockey every day? Especially understanding that the only other sport I believe where there is a dedicated day, in my opinion, is the NFL. Sunday's NFL. And there's no way you're going to get the numbers to beat Sunday NFL. I get it. But the Super Bowl is next week. You're not even halfway through a season and yeah you can have the mystique of saturday night hockey hockey night in canada hockey night in the united states whatever you want to call it and or you can kind of just have it every day and you get better exposure because people flipping through channels bored during covid can watch some hockey and let's be honest here most fans aren't putting three screens up on their TV showing three different games at once. They're only watching one game at a time. Why not just split it out more so maybe you can get some more eyes on each game instead of what they're doing right now? Are you ready for the logic answer? I am ready. So you said the only other sport that has a specific date is uh, the NFL, which is, you know, I mean, they've got like, you know, Sunday, Monday night football, but most of the games are on Sunday. Um, What's the other sport that's being played right now? The NBA. And how many of those NBA teams share an arena with NHL teams? That's part of the answer, but they've done it in the past. Now, which schedule came out first, NHL or NBA? NBA, but usually the NBA comes out first. And if you look at the last week, which days did most of the NBA games fall on? Ah, see, that's why we have you on the podcast. But could you not have done, you know, use their schedule, of course, and availability there and just worked around it? I get your point, And it's possible that arenas were like, hey, you know what? We don't have the turnaround time to do this, especially in COVID. 
but it's not like it hasn't been done before. No, I, I agree with you. But like, if you think about it, especially in the US, right? Because all the games are, it's basically two game sets in the same spot, right? So if the NBA has, the NBA team is playing on that off day, like between the two games, then like that's a lot of work for the the uh the the NBA arena, right? So like you have to find those days, and it just seems to me that's how the schedule kind of worked out. So that's why they've kind of done it like that. But at the same time, like if I am the NHL, maybe you want to overload certain days because you know you're filling up the airways with just that. And plus, it also gives NHL like fans like you know what I know these are the certain days that most games are on. I'm going to take that entire day and just watch hockey kind of like how we take you know today on a saturday normally we would be watching hockey but for some reason we're recording a podcast so you know that's like that could be a reason why so yes like the nhl could have done better but given the circumstances what they have right fighting the nba with the arena can they do the turnaround times having to play basically back-to-back sets but there's a day between so do you you gotta keep the ice too because where their team's gonna practice right so uh, i think the nhl is trying to do the best it can and maybe this is you know you're gonna have a couple weeks like this but there's gonna be weeks where it's more evened out and when that happens you can praise them then but like it, it they, it's what they had to work with so I, I can't hate on them for that yeah like as a fan i think the biggest issue you have is just like okay but like I want to watch other teams. I want to watch more hockey. Give me more hockey. <laughs> and, you know, you don't, right? You don't get to because there's only one game on it. And you're like, eh, I don't really want to watch this game. I don't want to watch this team. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, like, as someone on the East Coast, like, I would hate it if the only game... I think this happened recently. But, like, there was only one game that night and it was on the West Coast. So... You don't, just don't watch hockey, but sometimes you need that break from hockey. Sometimes you just need to take a day off, you know, kind of like with work, right? You need, you need those days off so that you can, you know, reset and prepare yourselves for the next day where there's 15 NHL games to watch. So uh, I'm, I'm okay with it. I, I think that, yes, the schedule could have been done better, but, you know, it's not us who are like, I'm sure very, very smart people tried to make it as even as possible and everything, but it's just how it worked out. So we just have to live with it and just enjoy the hockey that we get. Yeah. With that being said, that's all I've got for today. Jeffrey, is there anything you want to talk about today? Um, yes, I do. Um, I, I know we haven't had a lot of truculence talk recently on this podcast, which I feel like it's a missing part of this podcast, given your how much you endear the physical and grinding and fighting aspects of the NHL, which I see almost every night when we play Chell. Uh, so with Sportsnet, they recently uh, uploaded a video on YouTube. Uh, we'll include the link below, but um, they they made a list of the top 10 NHL hitters. Um, should I go down this list and let you react and maybe give your opinion on this list? Um, is this of all time or of active players? Now... That's the question for me too. So well, as we go down through the list, um, it, I think it's for active hit, active players, but there is a little uh, uh, whoopsie there with the the sports net there. Because like, here's the thing, right? right? Like, I know it's to bring in the ratings, but like, when you see, for example, the NHL 100, which the NHL 
did as like the greatest players in the last hundred years. You kind of had some current players that are just like, mm, I'm not sure about that one. I don't know if he's uh, considered one of the greatest of all time. I'm wondering if it's just a situation that's very similar to this, right? Like, I don't love Duncan Keith. He's a very good player. I don't think he's, if he's one of the best of all time. You know what I mean? I'm wondering if it's a very similar situation like that where it's just like, we'll sprinkle some some more current players on here as well. Just 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 so the newer fans also feel like they're watching a revolutionary ho- time in hockey. Like uh, Jonathan Taves, like, I don't know, he's a top 100 player of all time. But that, that's a whole different story, Jeffrey. Let's go through the top 10 hitters and you tell me who they are. Okay. Um, so I think this list is supposed to be active, but uh, they might have screwed things over a little bit. So number 10, Ratko Gudis. Um, this is number, this is that 10th spot? Yeah. Yeah. He's got big hits. Exciting. We'll throw, drop the gloves. I enjoy it. I'm okay with that. I remember this list is for our top 10 hitters, right? So we also have to consider the fact that, yes, we are talking about the uh what's it called the the nhl this is the top 10 nhl hitters and i'm just looking up here really really quickly i do believe that ratko gudas has not played a game yet this season has he uh no he has he's played four games oh yeah uh yeah four games that's uh apparently that's an nhl player i, I didn't realize that oh i should know wait i don't think he's played four games what do you mean He's played, he's played four games of the Panthers this season. Oh, wait. Oh, yeah, with the Panthers. Sorry, I forgot the Panthers. I, I have uh, no problem. Like, you can't – I think top ten hitters, you can't – he's played four games this season. A, and B, he's played one, two, three, four, five, six, seven long NHL seasons already. Like, that, that – you're an NHLer. Okay, fine. No, I, I just thought I had heard a rumor back – Back then, like Gudas was was going to be a scratch with the with the Florida Panthers during like during training camp. He was a scratch, so that's why that's that's why I was thinking about that. But fine. Um, number nine. Here's your uh, current player uh, intro. Uh, Brady Kachuk. Ooh. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> now I, I get Brady Kachuk a little bit in the sense that I think last year he put up like nearly 300 hits I think they said so I, I kind of get it like maybe quantity over quality in that sense but yeah Brady Kachuk at number 9 top 10 NHL hitters this season or top, it just says top 10 NHL hitters no in my opinion no I think there are Better hitters. I think he's a good hitter who also gets quantity. But when I think of the thunderous hit, I'm looking for quality as long as there's some quantity on there. You know what I mean? If it's not, you can't just look at one big hit. Got several, you know, a fair amount of big hits. Even though you don't have the quantity, I'd put you up because you know that the capability is there. Yeah, no, that, that 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 I think that's their your Duncan Keith or Jonathan Taze in the top te- their NHL one hundred all time. They just needed a guy that was current. Um, last season he put up three hundred and three hits, 
So um, yeah, I think that's the sense where we get the quantity over quality. Um, number eight, Mark Borowiecki. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if he's top 10 per se. I'd probably put him at 11 or 12, but with these subjective lists, the difference between 8 and 12, marginal at best. Number seven, Matt Martin. I would actually put Matt Martin a bit higher. I'd say he's around five or four. My guess is that around five or four, there is another player like Brady Tuchuk, who is a very, very good player that also drives in more clicks. Uh, you would be right. So let's get there. So six, Zdeno Chara, five, Nikita Zadorov, and four, Alex Ovechkin. Yes. I'm actually a little surprised that the star that you would be talking about isn't a Canadian team star. Like, it isn't a, a Morgan Riley. I think the perfect player to put on there, too bad he's retired, Dustin Bufflin would have been perfect, would have checked every single check mark. I'm surprised. You know what? Oh, I know who the perfect player is, but he's definitely number two or number one. Shea Weber's on this list. I already know it. Um, Zadorov, yes. If you look at him, big, clean hits, impressive. You love to see it. Uh, sorry, who was number six there? Zdeno Chara. If you look at the full body of work, Zdeno Chara should be higher. Um, look at his prime. Zdeno Chara would come on the ice, and you would see players just be like, you know what? It's time for a line change. <laughs> Think if you look at 43-year-old Zdeno Chara, of course, I understand, but you consider his prime on there. There is quantity and quality. Mwah! That's me doing a chef's kiss. Um, but Alex Ovechkin there, I, I don't know, maybe because his focus is on his scoring abilities that we don't watch a lot of him hitting, but it definitely doesn't count. As You're going to love this one here. Number three, they put down Dustin Bufflin. Okay, Sportsnet, what is this list on then? Is it reasonably active? Is it active? Is it all time? Because if you say all time, just scrap this list and redo it. This isn't the prime hitting era of hockey. All right? Because... <laughs> If you're going to put a retired player like Dustin Bufflin on there, Scott Ske- Stop. Steven says hello. That's all I'm going to say. Is Bufflin actually retired? Or is he kind of like in that sense where he's technically not retired, but he's just not playing this season? Is that why they let him on the list? Like, I think in any hitting list, you have to include Dustin Bufflin. But like on Cat Friendly, it says that he's retired. So... Like I just don't know why they put him on this list here. That's that's my that's the big thing with this entire list. Why the hell is Dustin Bufflin on a list of the top ten NHL hitters? Because he's technically not retired. He probably I assume when I'm assuming here, I guess, yeah. When teams call Dustin Bufflin, he goes, I don't really want to play. But he never put in his papers to say, I'm retiring. You know what? Yeah, fair enough. I, 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 you can give Sportsnet some leeway, but um, I, I think people were just 
Like the thing too is like when you watch the YouTube video, a lot of the highlights are from years like from like two years, three years ago. So like I'm I'm just asking myself like what type of list are you doing Sportsnet? Is this you know a recent list or is this you taking their full career in perspective? Are you even taking players that are still playing right? Like so that's why like it was quite um quite confusing when I saw Dustin Bufflin at number three. And well, let me jump I, in I here. Think it, let me jump in here. The only reason why your highlights are from two or three years ago is because that's when he last played. <laughs> no, but I'm saying like for all the other players, right? Like with um, Alex Ovechkin, they had the hit of him hitting Zdeno Chara into the Caps bench. That's a couple years ago. Well, you obviously want the biggest hit of their career, right? You don't want him like a nice average hit. You want to be like, oh, this guy's a you know big hitting guy. You want to see the best highlights, right? I don't, I'm okay with that. Now I'm okay with it's also sad when you have to uh, reuse the same highlight for the same player. So that's why that like they they did a Racco Gudis on um on what's his name Chittle on the Rangers. They did that hit like two times, and it was like fifteen seconds apart. And I was like, oh, I just saw the same hit. Like I get it's a different angle, but it's the same hit. You don't have to show me it twice. So to me, to me, like I don't know. And I, I guess another surprise is that your Shea Weber is not on this list either. What? What? How is Shea Weber not on this list? I, you know, he's not that one-dimensional where he only takes slap shots, right? Like, like they're aware of this, right? Because like Shea Weber's hits, like when he wants to hit, like the boom comes, and like I'm sorry if you if this is for the numbers. The clicks. This is right there. Maybe, maybe this is conspiracy tinfoil hat. Me, it's like, oh, if we don't ask Shea Weber, all those Montreal fans will comment, "Where's Shea Weber?" And then we'll have so much engagement. But on that whole different note, if we're not considering of a conspiracy here, come on, how do you not include Shea Weber on here? That's insane. I'm sorry. That no, <laughs> no. He's got the body. He's got the quality and quantity, without a doubt. All right. How about we round it off? So number two, Tom Wilson. Number one, Ryan Reeves. I'm okay. I I, I think Ryan Reeves number one is correct. Um, Tom Wilson at two. Ugh, I think he should be. Where's Bufflin? Three. Yep. I think Bufflin should be removed from the list not because he doesn't hit but because i don't qualify him as an active player and this is i'm assuming an active player list you put tom wilson at three you bring show at two which i mean it's nothing it's nothing to feel bad about right you're still third not a big deal but yeah yeah <laughs> I, I don't think players really care where they rank on a, a sports oh, definitely not Definitely not. Like, I don't think Radko Gudas is printing this out and framing it and being like, I'm only 10th. I'm going to become 9th next year. I don't think he cares. <laughs> Could be wrong, though. <laughs> Maybe he'll put on his resume when he signs his next contract. Sure. It's gonna. Maybe it's one of its leadership tenants. <laughs> yeah, why don't we go with that? But yeah, that's basically what I want to bring to this episode. Uh, we needed some truculence this episode. So that's why we got the, a really flawed list from Sportsnet on the top 10 NHL hitters, apparently. Yeah, I'm not impressed with that list. But with that being said, Jeffrey, 
you should uh, and just and give me your final thoughts and give me the percentage that the league does not finish on time. So we are already starting to see some more games being rescheduled in season. So I believe the Blues and the Knights were postponed. So I am still sticking with my 50%. I think we're still kind of in that stage where we don't know um, whether we're going to actually, you know, finish the NHL season on time, if we're even going to finish at all. So I will stick with my 50%. Uh, In terms of my final thoughts for this episode, um, I like to say that I did my one good deed for the week and I encourage everyone to continue to do good deeds. So, uh, well, this week I, um, I had a friend who lives up in none of it. So for those people who live in the U S who think Canada is their North pole, we can still go a little bit farther up all the way up to none of it. Um, and, uh, where he lives right now. Um, unfortunately there was an accident at the co-op, which is kind of like their big, uh, general store there. And, they really need the help right now to rebuild that store because it services a whole bunch of people in that village and also nearby. So um, I, you know, put in my, uh, that was kind of my good deed for the week there and uh, hopefully supporting them in their uh, time of need. And I encourage others to do that and continue looking to do, you know, at least like one good deed a week. And then maybe eventually we can do one good deed a day if we, uh, can at least do one good deed a week so yeah that's my final thoughts for this week uh for me it's sabella let's talk was this week and this week or i guess on bella's talk day it's great everyone talks about mental health and how you know it plays a very important role in our lives but it's only one day long and uh, i think i'm gonna take this opportunity And my final thoughts, just to say, hey, you know what? Mental health isn't just a one-day thing. And you should care about, you know, making opportunities, checking on your friends, your family, an extra day, and use that as your one good deed. That's a check mark for me on a a good deed of the week. I don't know if it counts with Jeffrey, but it's a check mark for me. Um, And that y'all should wash your hands and uh, wear a mask. And uh, we love y'all. And that's a perfect place right there. Love y'all. Oh, I forgot the set. I was going to do a 70% chance, but that's not what I already said. Love y'all. So love y'all. Thanks for listening to the Bag Fucks Podcast, part of the National Podcast Network. You want to complain about us? You can tweet us at BOP underscore POD on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.